ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Yes, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. We're taking on The Heavyweights this week, the show that defines Star Trek for many fans as we dive into Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Hearing the intro to this series will always send chills down my spine. Full disclosure, while I grew up watching the original series with my mom, I watched TNG, first run, every single week. I literally grew up with this crew. Okay. We start off with a great way to open the show. Let's ease the viewers in. New enterprise, great new visuals. Let's save the judgment of the characters till after this great first impression. You see, at this point, it had been about 18 years since people had seen New Trek on TV and never had they seen any Star Trek without the original cast. So we open with a great shot of the Enterprise, comes up from below, and immediately we meet Captain Picard. Some pretty rough handheld footage. He moves through engineering and up into the bridge, and he provides some limited exposition on the ship. Galaxy-class starship, it's super fast, state-of-the-art, all that stuff. So apparently, we're headed to Deneb 4, and he mentions the first officer they'll be meeting, William Riker. Then we meet Data and Troy while Picard explains the mission. Negotiate an agreement to use the base while snooping around to find out why exactly and how exactly they built it. Data goes off defining some word while we learn that Troy senses a powerful mind. We'll learn more about those senses later on in the episode. In a total Tholian web moment, the Enterprise is stopped by some mysterious force. And, uh, whoa, 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 wait, there's a Klingon on the bridge? When did this happen? Well, randomly, there's just some Klingon walking around the bridge. And then, in a flash of light, some Macbeth-looking character appears on the bridge and threatens Picard. Picard here shows his first flash of leadership. He questions the bean, and he shows great physical confidence. I mean, he stands right up to this guy. The bean explains that he's called Q, and then shows off his powers by fire extinguisher freezing the poor con officer. Then there's a series of Q appearing in military costumes from various periods in Earth's history, and he finally hits us with the newsflash that apparently, hey, I don't know if you guys are ready for this or not, but apparently humans are violent and dangerous. At this point, we're very smoothly introduced to the security chief, Lieutenant Yar. Security chief, I can't just stand here and let... Yes, you can, Lieutenant Yar. As security chief, I can't just stand here. Sorry, I've got a little 
bias. Picard stands as a real champion of what humanity has become. Q leaves with a very cryptic threat. And there's, <laughs> he kind of threatens, right? And then this incredible, I love this. Like it's so 1980s here. It's some incredible synthesizer background music. In fact, like this is one of the moments I'm going to actually recommend you go back and watch this episode. It's just, it's an, it's awesome synthesizer music here. Well, suddenly, for some random reason, Picard wants to separate the saucer section at, uh, at high warp velocity. You know, uh, this is a thing that apparently was going to be in the original series, but they didn't have the budget for. But where the, the flying saucer part of the Enterprise separates from the, the big uh, the nacelle part of it. So according to data, this is very dangerous, but it is possible. Engineering reports they're ready, and a shot of the bridge shows that Star Trek isn't quite ready to paint women in a fully empowered light. I mean, just take a second, look at Troy's uniform. Point of order, that this is a little little glimpse to the future. We're not going to see Troy in a uniform again to like, I don't know, I think it's in season six is the next time. But this uniform, I can understand why. I wouldn't want to wear one either. It almost just about barely covers up half of her butt. And that's if I'm being generous. A high-speed chase ensues, showcasing the warp capabilities of the Enterprise. Lieutenant Yar, she's freaking out. They keep accelerating. They're going faster and faster, and that Q ship, whatever it is, is totally keeping up. Picard, though, I mean, they're really painting Picard as this very calm and stoic leader at this point. He maintains absolute, ultimate calm through all of this. As the ship continues to gain on Enterprise, he's not afraid to use weapons, right? So he's been calm, he's been cool, but we saw him stand up physically to Q when he first came up, and now he orders that we arm torpedoes. So he's not afraid of crossing that line, taking violent action if it's necessary. Picard is about to order the emergency saucer separation, puts his crew together that are going to go down to the battle bridge, and says uh, he puts Worf, uh, who is the Klingon apparently, Lieutenant Worf, is going to be in charge of uh, the saucer separation. So again, um, you know, last last time we saw a start, there's a Klingon, Klingon on the bridge, and he's going to command, I don't know about that. Okay, okay, but, you know, hey, just you know, trying really hard to not watch this through, uh, through lenses that know the end of this. Because just imagine, right, like watching this for the first time, there's a, Kling, there's a Klingon on the bridge, and then Picard's like, hey, Klingon, hey, mortal enemy of the Federation. Why don't you be in charge of this part of the ship that's, that's uh, you know, that, that doesn't have all the weapons and stuff on it? Well, Worf, to his credit, stands up as a Klingon. I'm a Klingon, sir. For me to seek escape when my captain goes into battle. But Picard totally stands his ground. You are a Starfleet officer, Lieutenant. Aye, sir. Puts him in his place. Worf agrees to command the saucer separation. Kind of a cool scene here. They show the uh, the hallways and these families. There are families on this ship uh, evacuating. It's kind of pandemonium. They're they're running through the halls, getting their stuff, trying to get to a place of safety. And in a in a really cool scene, we notice that it's not just Troy that has this uniform that almost sort of covers her butt, but even men are wearing these ever so stylish skirt uniforms. Picard and his crew get down to the battle bridge, and Picard very calmly relays the strategy and the battle plan to everybody from the battle bridge. We see the crew there, and look, it's Chief O'Brien. Very first episode of the next generation. Okay, okay, this is uh, 
Yeah, first time. I guess this is the first time we're going to be meeting him in our timeline for this podcast. But it's Chief O'Brien, one of the greatest characters in all of Star Trek. We see him right here in the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And now it's time to separate the saucer section. Still not totally clear why we're having to do this. And I'm still not totally clear why it's super, super dangerous. But, but apparently it is. And then for a very, very, very long time, we listened to basically the entire version of the theme song to this, uh, to this series while we watched this, uh, this saucer separation go off absolutely smoothly with no problem at all other than that moment of uh of sort of implied danger but they kind of make up for it a re- really sweet shot uh star drive section goes off one way saucer uh draws the attention of the q ship and moves away it's a pretty sweet little uh little separation there and in fact like if you had only watched the original series and the movies from that this is well, obviously for a lot of people this was the first time Watching Star Trek on TV, man, what a cool shot this was. So immediately on the battle bridge, Lieutenant Yar starts making all kinds of recommendations to go and fight this uh, this ship or the whatever it is that Q has, and Picard cuts her off. Will we make a fight of it, Captain? If we can at least damage their ship, we have a chance. Are you recommending that we fight a life form that can do all those things? I'd like to hear your advice. I spoke before I thought, sir. We should look for some way to distract them from going after the saucer. He questions her, and then, like, this is this is pretty awesome. This is next-level leadership kind of stuff. She's just coming from a place of, like, let's fight this thing that has already made it clear he's got powers beyond anything we can understand. So he looks at her. He very kindly and earnestly says that he'd like to hear her advice. I'd like to hear your advice. She pauses. Like, she kind of understands what he's doing here. He's not cutting her off and telling her that she's wrong. Like, that's the easy thing to do. Hey, Yar, you're a crazy person, and if we try to fight this thing, all of us are going to die. Very reasonable thing to say. But instead, Picard utilizes his calm and very, I mean, I can't overstate the word, very earnestly says to Yar that he wants to hear her advice. She gets that implied message in there that that maybe she needs to rethink this. And she does ends up giving much more sound advice. And then he acknowledges that and acknowledges his crew. To this point so far, we're seeing a pretty strong leadership look from Captain Picard. Well, (laughs) up up until pretty much his exact moment. Because then he fires up the communications and he surrenders to Q. Within seconds, the bright white light hits again and we're in some 80s style post-apocalyptic setting. Bold move by Picard here. Apparently, this is uh, looks like a court of some kind. And Bailiff, uh, Bailiff tells the prisoners to all stand. Picard stares right at him and sits down. Man, that's ballsy. I mean, there's people with guns. These people are clamoring for somebody's blood. And he just sits down. Data lets us know where we're at. Apparently, we're in a mid-21st century, 2079-ish um, courtroom from an era called the post-atomic horror. You know, honestly, it's kind of fun right now to see Star Trek kind of filling in the blanks between the 80s and the, the 24th century here. Lots, lots to fill in. We're at a point in, in, in real life where we know a lot of the, the things that Star Trek said would come to pass uh, did not. 
Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I don't remember the eugenics wars happening, for example, but still, it's kind of fun, and it's kind of horrifying to know that in my lifetime, there's a good chance that I will live to see the post-atomic horror. <laughs> doesn't sound fun at all. Well, anyway, back to the courtroom. Q comes out. He emerges as the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, and the executioner. And we get our first glimpse of Picard as lawyer as Q accuses the human race of savagery and multiple crimes. Can we assume you mean this will be a fair trial? Yes, absolutely equitable. A little melee ensues. The bailiff and some of the guards are trying to get order. Yar jumps on a guy and... Q starts talking about how savage humans are. We learned that Yar grew up on a world um, that was super rough, very violent, and that she holds Starfleet in the highest regard. And she's, uh, she's repaid for that stand-up and for that, that exposition there by being fire extinguisher frozen um, and dropping, dropping to the ground. Waffles! She's frozen with fear! We find out that Data has a cool skill, right? He, can, uh, he records basically everything and can do playback. He's like a built-in a built-in court recorder. He does a little talk of uh, Picard and Q, and uh, at that point, Picard, as lawyer, makes a proposition. He proposes that Q tests them. Let them represent humanity. All right. We agree there is evidence to support the court's contention that humans have been savage. (laughs) Therefore, I say test us. Test whether this is presently true of humans. I see. I see. And so you petitioned the court to accept you and your comrades as proof of what humanity has become. There must be many ways we can be tested. We have a long mission ahead of us. Another brilliant suggestion, Captain. But your test hardly requires a long mission. Your immediate destination offers far more challenge than you can possibly imagine. Yes. This Farpoint station will be an excellent test. Immediate flash of light. They're back on the battle bridge. (laughs) And poor O'Brien. O'Brien's sitting there. He has no idea anything even happened. And Troy, something we're going to see kind of frequently in this. Troy just kind of looks confused through the whole thing. In a defining moment for Star Trek, we meet William Riker. Personal log, Commander William Riker. Stardate 41153.7. The USS Hood has dropped me off at Farpoint Station. As he meets with the Farpoint Station administrator, they talk about the high geothermal power levels, rapid construction of the station, and the administrator offers some refreshment. Riker says he'd like an apple, but there aren't any. Until there are. They suddenly appear. As he leaves, the administrator starts chastising some unknown presence about arousing suspicion. Out in the uh, courtyard area, Riker meets up with Dr. Crusher and her son, Wesley. They're out shopping. She looks at a bolt of fabrics, expresses it'd be nice if it had gold on it, and suddenly it does. Riker notices this, and you can see him kind of putting the mental dots together between the apples and uh, the change in this bolt of fabric. We continue to squeeze even more exposition into this one episode as Dr. Crusher refers to Picard as Jean-Luc. Wesley then explains that Picard was the person who brought his father's body home after he was killed in, uh, in the line of duty. So Picard's got a connection to the entire Crusher family, and there's some real tragedy attached to that. Then we see Lieutenant LaForge. 
he shows up and he's got some device covering his eyes up and uh, Riker totally big times him here. Like LaForge snaps to attention, officially makes his report and he reports that the star drive section has arrived, but the saucer is not with it. The whole time Riker's been down here, we've been following him through this. He's been working. So we get the impression that Dr. Crusher, LaForge haven't necessarily reported to the Enterprise yet. They're all meeting here at Farpoint Station, but he's trying to get everybody to work and is being very rigid in holding a junior officer uh, to military standards. Riker beams up to, uh, to the Enterprise, or the half, half of the Enterprise, and Lieutenant Yar is there to greet him, takes him to the battle bridge. He comes out, reports, uh, reports for duty, and Picard basically doesn't look at him, uh, all but refuses to acknowledge him and sends him over to a viewer that conveniently has the uh, episode that we've watched so far all queued up. Riker watches the episode and uh, gets caught up on everything that has happened. They then go meet in the ready room, and out of nowhere, um, Picard just kind of randomly assigns Riker to immediately and manually rejoin the star drive to the saucer. Data and Yar make a real big deal out of this being done manually, like... It's a super big deal, and they're, they're, they're shocked that we would even try it, but totally turns out to be a very routine operation. You know, this episode, and I, I want to acknowledge that, you know, they're, they're, they were facing a lot bringing this episode to bear with no new Star Trek and no new characters in so long, but they're just trying, trying really hard to make a big deal out of the operation of this Enterprise and, and, and the risks around it and what it can do. Maximum warp saucer separation, manual rejoining, going to maximum warp. Like all these things seem so dangerous in what they're talking about, but there's never anything to suggest that any of these are actually at all difficult, dangerous, or even impressive. Really, really kind of fell short on this. That's my opinion! But then in a scene where we start to unpack really the, what's going to become the basis for the relationship between Picard and Riker, is when they meet up again. They're in uh, it's like an observe, uh, the observation lounge or something, and uh, their interaction is it's very formal. Picard questions some of Riker's decisions that he made when he was on the hood. Um, he stood up apparently at one point and wouldn't let Captain DeSoto go on an away mission, and Picard just leans into Riker on this. Just possible that you don't get to be a Starfleet captain without knowing whether it's safe to beam down or not. Isn't it a little presumptuous of a first officer to second guess his captain's judgment? Riker asks for permission to speak candidly, um, and he stands his ground. He pushes right back to Picard. I have no problem with following any rules you lay down, short of compromising your safety. And you don't intend to back off from that position? No, sir. And at the end of that, Picard seems to uh, open up to him. Like it was all just a test to see how Riker would uh, would react in that situation. Then in a, I don't know, kind of an awkward scene again. Like I can see what they're trying to do here, um, but I just don't. I just don't feel like it executed really well at all. Um, like in fact, with with a little bit of a, a more modern view to this scene, it, it's it's almost um, I don't know. It's almost cringy and inappropriate, but. Picard shares that he's not a family man and isn't really comfortable around children. I feel like given the real formal back and forth he just had with Riker, this is a weird thing. Uh, weird thing to throw out there. But he, 
But this is kind of cool, right? It's important for a leader to be able to acknowledge their weaknesses and the areas in which they're going to need help. In fact, in fact, I will say that one of the things that separates an effective leader, really, really an effective person from everyone else is their ability to ask for and accept help. That's exactly what Riker does here. He asks Riker to help him project an air of congeniality, even around these families and these kids that Picard isn't very comfortable around. Riker gets a big, he agrees to it and he gets a big smile on his face. And much to his joy, Picard extends his hand and welcomes him. It's a big moment. Riker's finally made it through what was apparently this, uh, this wall uh, to Picard. Now, this was almost a really cool scene where two people that are going to be leading this massive starship together meet for the first time. Like, imagine imagine a group of C-level executives. You've got your chief executive officer, your chief operations officer, your chief this operator officer, and this chief, 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 CCO, BCDEFG, all the C-level of executives that are out there. Imagine them all meeting for the first time. We're going to run this company together, and now we're meeting. Now, you can imagine they're all going to work to mark their territory to a point, but really, in those C-level positions, they've got, they've got charge of their areas, and with, even with the exception, I mean, without the exception sometimes of the CEO, like maybe none of those C-levels are really the person in charge, right? Maybe they're reporting to a board or somewhere else. In this case, like Picard is clearly the superior officer, and he tests Riker, tests him hard. Riker took a risk here and pushes right back. It's a testament to his confidence in his experience. He knew he'd done the right thing and that he would do it again in his interaction with his prior commanding officer, DeSoto. Ultimately, Picard respects that in him, and it completely changes the tune of their relationship. But where this, where this lacks for me the most is in Picard's lack of authenticity. He came at Riker with aggression, anger. He tested him and who he was. While there are times it might be appropriate, like in a crisis, to respond to something like this, this doesn't feel like the right time at all for him to be pushing back against Riker to this level. We head over to sickbay. Dr. Crusher and LaForge start explaining the device over his eyes. You see, LaForge was, he's born blind, and this allows him to see through multiple different methods. He can see infrared and, uh, I don't know, all kinds of different heat signatures. I kind of thought of it in terms of almost having like a tricorder, uh, tricorder over his, uh, his eyes. We cut to the bridge. Riker comes on board. We get a really nice beauty shot. The camera sweeps around. You get the whole thing in there. Worf comes up and explains that Data is on an assignment transporting an admiral. And then a scene that, uh, well, did not age well in any way. We see Data escorting Dr. McCoy from the original series through Enterprise. Like, how cool is that, right? Dr. McCoy, bones, complete like, hey, this is us, the, 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 handing, the, the, the passing of the torch right here. Uh, the guy who was on the Enterprise, the original one, Enterprise that was refit, the Enterprise A, like, this is pretty cool. Now, we see him on the Enterprise D. They have some back and forth, and we learn uh, now, unequivocally, that Data is an android. 
Um, this is a great attempt to link this series to the original series, but I mean, I don't know. I feel like it was not really well executed and maybe it's just that it didn't age well. I think that, um, given the time, uh, that we're here in the, in the earlier 21st century now, I don't know. I think that McCoy used some turns of phrase that just, we don't really use anymore. If you've got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. Hey, boy, you look mighty cute in them jeans. It was a little, little heavy-handed in trying to paint Data as Spock and some pieces, but it was, it was still cool to see, to see Dr. McCoy and to see that apparently people are living to be 130-some-odd years old this, during, a, during this time. Well, this is a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. She'll always bring it home. So back to reality, right? Cool little scene, but uh, Q suddenly shows up once again to remind the crew and to remind us of the stakes and the time frame. Worf, he's ready to rock. He stands up. He's got a phaser in hand, and Riker praises his reaction. But Picard calls his effort futile, really kind of shuts him down. Riker updates Picard on the station and how those items were magically appearing, the apples, the the fabric, the kind of weird stuff. Picard then introduces Riker to Troy, who telepathically communicates with Riker. Turns out they have quite a history. Troy refers to Riker as Imzadi. Imagine we'll learn more about that in the future. Picard, who wasn't privy to all this telepathic back and forth, uh, picks up on the fact that they know each other. They've got a bit of a, a history. I consider it important for my key officers know each other's abilities. Troy says, we do, sir. We do. Well, I bet you do. <laughs> so they, uh, they head down to the planet's surface and they meet with the administrator, uh, Groppler Zorn, who informs us that Troy is a Betazoid. And she corrects him. Uh, she is only half Betazoid. But apparently through this, she can sense and feel strong emotions. In the negotiations, Groppler Zorn threatens to seek an alliance with the Ferengi if these talks break down. Given what we see of the Ferengi in future episodes and on other series, it might have been a really good deal for one of the parties, at least. Well, Troy, at this point, senses some very strong emotions. She senses pain, terrible loneliness, and despair. But she can't tell from where she's picking this up. Groppler suddenly freaks out. He starts yelling. The trio takes off as he again threatens to talk with the Ferengi. The Ferengi would be very interested in a base like this. Fine. Let's hope they find you as tasty as they did their past associates. Guessing their last associates were tube grubs. Back on the Enterprise, we get a fun scene to introduce the holodeck. Well, we'll count it as an introduction here since we're not going to be covering the animated series. But if you happen to check it out, I recommend you do. The episode, The Practical Joker, is actually where a holodeck gets introduced. But this starts off with Riker asking an ensign where Data is. She demonstrates the utility of a galaxy-class starship, and Riker demonstrates the irresistible magnetic charm we will come to know, expect, and love from him. Super cool shot is he thanks her and walks away, and she totally, very obviously, is checking him out. Riker heads in, 
to the holodeck and is completely blown away. And it, it really does look great. This was apparently shot on location at Griffith Park in Hollywood. And it's really effective at conveying how cool this technology is. As a, as a side note, and maybe a t- moment of total self-deprecation here, my most memorable moment at Griffith Park was eating a 16 by 16 in and out burger outside of the observatory. That was, uh, that was kind of a shameful and oddly proud moment for me, honestly. Back to the episode. Riker needs Data's help uh, to problem-solve the mysteries that they've run into so far at Farpoint Station. Now, this is a neat scene where he works to personally connect with Data. We find out that uh, Data went to Starfleet Academy. Uh, his rank is not honorary. It is earned. And uh, But I would gladly give it up to be human. Nice to meet you, Pinocchio. Wesley Crusher shows up in the holodeck and falls into a river. We get a really nice crystal clear shot of Brent Spiner's stunt double as he dives down to rescue him. We see him next in sick bay with his mom, Dr. Crusher, where he's lobbying for her to show him the bridge. She explains that Picard would not be okay with this, but ultimately says that she'll see what she can do. You know, from an editing standpoint, this episode cuts, I don't know, kind of uncomfortably sometimes. Uh, you know, so one moment Wesley's in the lake dripping outside um, in the holodeck, and the next moment he's in sick bay talking to his mom. But you know, they were trying to cram a lot of stuff, um, a lot of stuff into a relatively, relatively short amount of time. So then we're back to Deneb Four. Uh, Riker, Lieutenant Yard, Lieutenant LaForge, Troy, and Data split up to explore some underground tunnels and see what they can find out on the surface. In the tunnels, Troy is really struggling. Feelings of pain are overwhelming to her. So Riker and Data beam to them, and Riker talks her through it. What's cool here is how Riker utilizes his relationship with her to calm her down. He uses that personal connection, kind of similar to what he did just a little bit ago with Data. We can see that Riker, to this point, is very keen on uh, establishing and utilizing those personal relationships. Kind of a little counterpoint to what we saw when he first met LaForge, but it's what he's doing now. Up on the Enterprise, Dr. Crusher follows through and brings Wesley to the bridge, and Picard, as expected, gets very upset. Crusher reports to him, and it's the first time they've seen each other on this episode, and the tension of their existing relationship is palpable. Once he understands who Wesley is, and that he brought the body of his father to him many years ago, uh, he allows him to, to look around the bridge. Ultimately, right, Picard has a heart. There is a warm side to him. Ultimately, he does care for people around him. He brings us back to reality, though, with a quick... But don't touch anything. Wesley looks around the bridge. They use a handheld uh, shot here so we, we have his POV on everything. He sees Warp... Okay, he sees Warp there. And seriously, can somebody help me out here? Is there a, re- is there a reason that nobody is freaking out? About a Klingon? There is a Klingon on the bridge of the inner... Okay, apparently it's not a big deal. I will trust that they'll explain... They'll explain everything. Well, Wesley takes right to everything on the bridge. He understands the controls and way oversteps his bounds. Picard ultimately ends up... Ends up telling him... Get off the bridge! While all this is going on, an unknown ship is approaching the Enterprise. Won't answer any hails. Picard recalls Riker and the crew to the ship, 
and shields go up and the phasers get ready. Picard confronts Groppler about the ship, gets him on the comms, and ultimately Groppler admits to making an empty threat about the Ferengi. There's a quick comment off camera mentioning that this ship that kind of just looks like, uh, I don't know, if you just imagine the stereotypical 1950s UFO sort of thing. But there's this uh, comment off camera that says that this ship measures 12 times the volume of the Enterprise. The effects and the shooting style of this it really feels TOS, like a very original series feel to the lighting, the blocking, everything on here. I, and, I, and I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Maybe some of you out there do know the answer to this. I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, is this because Roddenberry was very hands-on with this episode? Or, I mean, was it intentional to try and like bridge the gap between viewers of the original series? Well, either way. Uh, this next kind of series of shots really calls back to uh, to original series and re- and really like for me and, and my age group in there, uh, classic Battlestar Galactica, like that look of the planets they had there. This ship starts shooting at the planet, pulses. Kind of, kind of like the caretaker we uh, we talked about in the last episode. Worf says uh, mentions that that's targeting the old Bandy city. The Bandy are the uh, the name of the residents, the people who live uh, on Deneb Four. Another very TOS Battlestar Galacta is shot of uh, this assault on the city. You know, just the, the the camera placement, the red sky that's there, uh, very reminiscent. The crew in the tunnels, they can see the attack. Riker leads them to the surface so he and Data can get a closer look, and he allows the rest of the team to beam back up to the planet. Picard gets on the comms, talks to Riker, and asks if he would be okay with a, quote, Clearly illegal kidnapping. Is there any other kind of kidnapping? Like, is there something out there I'm not aware of that might might allow? For, well, either way, it's uh, at least, you know, credit to Picard. He's, you know, full disclosure. It is clearly illegal. Well, Riker's down for it, and so he goes to get Groppler Zorn and bring him up to the ship. On the ship, Picard orders Yar to lock phasers on the mystery ship, and then Q shows up. Typical. So typical. Savage life forms never follow even their own rules. And despite the taunting, Yar is still all about blasting the ship. Standing by on phasers, Captain. Please, don't let me interfere. Use your weapons. Thank you for reinforcing every stereotype that this being has brought to bear. Honest Lieutenant Yar, fantastic example. Thanks. Picard doesn't take to this taunting at all. You call us savages, and yet you knew those people down there were going to be killed. It is your conduct that is uncivilized. Back on the planet, Riker and Data get blasted in the assault on the old city, and you can actually see the dippity doo label in Riker's hair. There is so much gel. Whole uniform is all messed up. That hair? Perfect. And Data channels The Undertaker. Some three years before he debuts in the WWF, as he recovers from the blast. Jonathan Frakes is absolutely incredible in this scene. His eyes as he reacts to Data's strength, pushing the point with Groppler, and he is, he is so good in this. As Data and Riker question the Groppler, he says that he'll try to explain, and is then painfully transported away to some unknown place. Q, still on the bridge, is taunting Picard as Troy senses enormous satisfaction. Senses that satisfaction about the same time that Groppler was beamed out of the conversation with Riker. Picard steps up to Q once again. Either leave or finish us. Worf is up and ready to roll as Q keeps his cool. 
He invites Riker and an away team to beam over to the mystery ship, and Riker is all for it. Some real interesting character uh, development points here. Man, Yar and Worf, they are just, I mean, the drop of a hat. Let's shoot people. Let's hit people. Let's just fight at any opportunity. It's kind of interesting. We cut there to sickbay. Picard steps in uh, to meet with Dr. Crusher, and he apologizes for not personally and professionally welcoming her on board. He then, out of nowhere, tells her that he would approve a transfer request in consideration of her and Wesley's feelings. It's an interesting moment here where I think the moment she reported to the bridge, and especially when he met Wesley, he really understood that how much that history mattered and that his failure to acknowledge that right from the beginning has, well, really, in his mind, damaged the potential for a positive relationship so badly that he's just going to open the door for them to leave. But Crusher actually states that she requested this posting. She wanted to report to Picard. She wanted to be on the Enterprise. At the end of this, Picard extends his hand welcomes her when welcomes her aboard. I mean, really, he ends up eating some really good crow here. That's a thing I think a lot of leaders out in the world could benefit from. It never tastes good, but the benefits of eating crow are sometimes immeasurable. Taking Q up on his offer, uh, Riker, Yar, Troy, and Data beam over to the ship, and it looks exactly the same way the tunnels did on the planet. Troy feels very powerful anger and hate directed right at the Bandy City. It's where all the people are that constructed Farpoint Station. They hear Groppler Zorn being tortured and find the room. He's just floating. He's just floating there. Riker and Data break him free with some phaser shots. We cut to the bridge as... Your time is up, Captain. Picard desperately begs. He literally begs Q to allow him to help his people. Q, my people are in trouble. Let me help them, please. I'll do whatever you say. Q brings them all, including Groppler Zorn, to the bridge. And all of a sudden, randomly, Troy figures it all out. It's not a ship. Somehow, it's alive. Picard and Riker question Groppler, who admits that he was helping an alien and keeping it captive. The ship flips over and reveals it's actually been a pinkish space jellyfish the whole time. Q continues to taunt Picard, and he just ignores him. Picard demonstrates supreme confidence in this moment. Picard then pieces everything together. Farpoint Station is actually the alien ship's mate. Not sure how he did that math, but hey, he did it, and that's what ends up happening. They blast Farpoint Station with an energy beam to feed it, until it has enough uh, energy to fly up out of the ground. Oh, and uh, and it's blue, pink one and a and a and a blue one. How 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 very subtle of them. The two creatures touch tentacles and fly off, never to be seen or mentioned again. Picard kicks Q off the ship. I will not promise never to appear again. Which is okay. I mean, so far, like Q is pretty fascinating and a very well acted character. This moment, Picard sits and he sends us into the series. Let's see what's out there. So this episode was um was was this episode is not good at all. I I I struggled to get through it. Um, I don't think that, I, I don't think that the writers had a really good idea of who these characters were. And the actors had even less of an idea. 
I mean, there's obviously, you'd assume, some great plans around Worf, but he and Yar just come across as complete hotheads. Troy is there just to barely wear clothes and sort of be crying all the time. But then you got Jonathan Frakes, Patrick Stewart, and John DeLancey, who did a lot with what they were given. Q was borderline kitschy camp, but Delancey made the threat real. We'll talk about Frakes and Stewart's challenges when we when we verify our command codes. But ultimately, watching this episode, like especially all these years later, I'm I'm kind of sur- I'm kind of surprised that the series even survived. I remember the fans of the original series straight up losing their minds once this episode aired. History proved they made the right choice, but wow, man, looking back. Yeesh. Command codes verified. We see two very different leadership styles in Picard and Riker. Well, well, sort of. I ultimately, again, I don't, I don't think they knew quite who they wanted these two to be. So they really moved kind of from one side of the spectrum to the other. Let's let's start with Riker. When we first see him, he's friendly and cordial. In a heartbeat, when he meets LaForge, he goes full military. We don't really see that out of him again. At all, uh, he starts to settle back into the role of, of, of ultimately a, a charismatic leader. He praises Worf, he jokes with Data, he's not afraid to lean in on an existing relationship and gently get control of a situation. I really, I really appreciate the confidence he has in everything he does. When Picard is big-timing him and ultimately gets on his case about not allowing Captain DeSoto to go on an away mission, he stands his ground. We see a little more of that military out of him. He asks permission to speak candidly, but once that permission is given, he does exactly that. From what we saw of Riker on this episode, I think we can expect to see a leader that people will gladly follow. Picard, Picard on the other hand, he's kind of all over the place in this. I mean, often, often though, that's appropriate. He's the captain. He knows it and he holds himself to the highest standard. There are two key moments of humanity that we see in him. Uh, when he asks for Riker's help in appearing to be congenial around kids and families, um, and when he offers to approve a transfer request to Dr. Crusher due to his involvement in the death of her husband. Other than these instances, though, he tends to be an experienced, tactical, and strategic military leader. What I saw is his inappropriate conduct when meeting Riker, I mean, all but ignoring him when he comes on board the first time, all the way through that grilling when they finally do speak. Other than that, we see an unflappable individual. Confidence right up to the line of arrogance or bravado, not really crossing it. I mean, there's multiple instances with Q in the post-atomic courtroom, and even with Groppler Zorn, where he stares death in the face and doesn't step down. He puts himself between his crew and danger, but also, in exchange, he expects nothing nothing short of perfection out of them. I love, I love especially the scene where Yar is wanting to go toe-to-toe with Q's ship, and he very calmly interrupts her and then says that he'd like to hear her advice. This was so effective. He didn't get emotional, not even in a very dangerous and escalating situation. He didn't discount Yar's input. In fact, he, he actually welcomed it. But his tone was such that he was able to communicate that she was headed down the wrong path. Picard's ability to often separate emotion from his decision-making and communication should pave the road for some excellent examples of leadership in the future. Next time on the Starfleet Leadership Academy, we'll be going back in time to Broken Bow 
the first episode of Enterprise. Sure, there aren't uh, any strong feelings out there about that uh, that series. In the meantime, you can catch me on social media. I'm at Jeff T. Aiken, A-K-I-N, on the Twitter, Instagram, the Facebook, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on Starfleet Leadership Academy. And until then, ex asterisk scientia. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid.